This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Woohoo! So good to see you. Good morning, everyone, and welcome whether you're here in the worship center, welcome if you're over in the gym, welcome if you are online. Just so excited to be worshiping with you today. In uh, Psalm 122, David writes, wrote these words, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I am so glad to be in the house of the Lord with you today. And David wrote that about going to the temple. That was his uh, longing and his desire that he wrote about a lot in the Psalms, uh, like a deer panteth after for the water. Um, there's something about corporate worship that is important to our being, uh, the way that God made us. And yeah, we can worship online, I'm so glad we have the technology to do that, especially right now, but there is so much we can't do online. So I'm thrilled to be back in person and face-to-face -face with you. And if you're not ready to come back yet, we certainly understand that. That is fine as well. For some, it's very wise to stay home and uh, protect your health. We love you just as much if you're not able to be here, but it is exciting to uh, be back with so many of you today. And by the way, I just want to give a shout out to our tech team. Thank you for all you do to make this possible. Let's give them a big hand. They are changing and learning new stuff every week. And this week we're here and online. And so lots of new things happened this week. So thank you. Thank you for all your work to make that happen for us. So today's part two in our new sermon series called Recalculating. And we're exploring how, how to think and how to respond to the detours in our lives by looking at different people in God's word and the detours they faced. We're in this season that honestly feels like a major detour to many people, right? And we have so much that we can learn from how God used detours in the lives of other people of faith. And hence this title, How God Uses Detours Today. So today we're going to examine how God used detours in the lives of the children of Israel as they made their way out of Egypt, heading back to the promised land. But I just want to say very clearly, life is full of detours. Coronavirus has certainly been a major detour or change of plans in our lives. The tragic death of George Floyd a couple of weeks ago and all of the racial tension followed by violence that has happened since then is another detours, uh, detour of sorts that we're experiencing right now. In fact, I want to begin by leading us in a prayer for our country and for our state and for our world right now with this especially in view. So please bow with me. Let's pray. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Father, our world, our nation, our state is in such turmoil right now. There's so much pain and frustration and confusion all over. Lord, we need you more than ever. And we believe ultimately uh, a this is a spiritual problem. And so ultimately, we need you. We need a spiritual solution. And so we pray for our nation. God, I pray for our leaders. We ask for clear thinking to reign supreme. God, we pray for the church, for your people that you'd help us to lead the way, to be your hands and feet. Lord, we want to be your agents of healing and grace. So please use your church to bring reconciliation, I pray. I also want to pray for those in law enforcement. Lord, uh, thank you for them. We need law enforcement. Thank you for so many uh, great men and women in this uh, 
occupation, God, and we ask that you'd protect them and that you'd act, help them to act justly. God, use them in a great way. And Lord, I too want to just thank you for the privilege of being back together today as your people in worship. Thank you for being able to minister to each other face to face. Please keep us safe and healthy. Thank you that we're not called to live in fear, but to in love and a sound mind. So Father, thank you for the courage and faith to gather together today. And Lord, I know that many are still vulnerable and aren't comfortable coming, so I pray you'd encourage them and, and uh, strengthen them as well. Please protect them. God, uh, please teach us now as we open your word, your holy word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, life is full of detours. In fact, I heard someone say just this week that the state flower is now officially the orange traffic cone. So uh, uh, it's been a while since construction uh, wrapped up around the Tacoma Dome on I-5, but it's certainly still going full blast north of there and down by JBLM and Stillicum Boulevards under construction. We know all about detours, don't we? In fact, if you're here in person in the uh, church with us today, you, you drove down Gravelly Lake Drive, you may have even experienced the detour that looks something like this. Some of you saw that detour sign. If you came down Washington Boulevard to get to church, uh, uh, you probably saw this detour sign out in front of the fire station. And if you're here in person today, I just want to remind you when you leave, it's probably best not to go over to Veterans Drive because you'll run into this sign if you try that street, right? You know, GPS is certainly helpful to navigate the detours when driving around. I'm thankful for Google Maps. I'm thankful for my new favorite navigation app called Waze. But what helps us even more so, what helps us navigate the detours in other areas of life? Driving detours are frustrating for sure, but Detours like coronavirus and racial injustice and health issues and relational problems and all those other kind of things are far, often far more devastating and life-altering. What helps us navigate those kind of detours? Well, thankfully, we have God's Word. God's Word is the ultimate navigation system, our ultimate source of truth. And so I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Exodus 13. We're going to be in Exodus 13 and 14 today. And as you turn there, I want to just point out today that detours are God's normal mode of operation. Very often, God's normal mode of operation involves detours. And I want to talk to you about one of the longest and most aggravating detours that we read about in all of the Bible. It's the detour that God sends the Israelites on that includes the famous story of the parting of the Red Sea, you know, the Red Sea crossing. Now, we're going to be in Exodus 13 and 14, as I said, mostly in chapter 14 today. And it's the story of the end of slavery for the uh, uh, Israelites in Egypt. They've been suffering under bondage in Egypt for something like 400 years, and they cried out in desperation and it says earlier in Exodus that God heard their cries and he raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses. Thank you. Thank you. You're with me. Moses. So God heard their prayers and he sent Moses. So Moses goes back to Egypt and he, by the way, so good to have interaction again. I, it's so much better to preach to live faces than to a camera. I, I'm, I'm glad for the technology, but I love the interaction. All right. So. 
Moses goes to Egypt and he stands before Pharaoh and he gives those famous words, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so God sent plagues to get his attention and to change his mind. And God used uh, Moses to bring a total of 10 plagues on the Egyptians. And after the last one, Pharaoh said, I've had enough. Go, get out of here. And that's where we're at today in the story. Moses begins to lead the Israelites out of Egypt toward the promised land, the land that God has for them, also known as the land of milk and honey. So I'm going to pick it up at Exodus 13, verse 17. Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So the shortest and most direct route from Egypt to Israel would have been something like this. Here's a map to kind of point it out. So they were down in the area lower, called Lower Egypt. This is Israel. So it would have been to do the Via Mare, the, the way of the sea, right up through Philistine territory now called Gaza. Okay? But God didn't lead them on that path. He took them on a detour. And the New Living, which I just read from, this is kind of a family service that we're in this season of all ages, so I'm reading from the NLT, and the NLT says he led them on a roundabout way. And I think that's a great way to put it, a roundabout way. That's how God leads us sometimes. Have you noticed? The destination's the same, the promised land, but God sent them on a very indirect route, and he did that on purpose. He knew, first of all, that they weren't ready to face the Philistines. The Philistines were one of Israel's ultimate greatest enemies, and they were very strong and powerful at this point, and God knew that if they ran into the Philistines on the way to the Promised Land, they'd just turn around and go right back to Egypt. And so Moses, as he led them out of Egypt, sent them a different route, and he led them by a pillar of fire at night and by a pillar of cloud during the day. And they make their way from Egypt toward the Promised Land. Let's keep reading now, beginning in Exodus 14.1. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pihaharoth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal-Zephon. So it's detour time. And so they're turning back, right? And they're camping along the seashore. So just for fun, I'm going to show you one more map. Now understand that there are something like 10, 12 different theories as to the route that Israel took from Egypt to the Promised Lands. This is just one of them. I don't know if this is the right one or not, but this is a possible one. It's one I like. Um, so leaving Egypt, the land of Goshen, says they went by Succoth. We don't know exactly where that is. It could have been here. But the fastest way would have been right up to go right up through here, right? Okay. But it says that they went through the wilderness and then they turned back. So back would have been away from Israel. And it says in the verses that we just read that they were somewhere around Baal Zephon and um, what's, what's the uh, Pihaharoth. 
And we believe that could have been right there. We don't know for sure, but that's one theory where Piha Haroth was, right up against the Red Sea. So if they were uh, camping on the banks of the Red Sea, that's one possibility. Again, it's so much conjecture, we don't know for sure. Uh, but a roundabout way for sure that would have been, right? Okay? And the point is this. Often God chooses to take us on detours in life. And often they're for our good and for his glory. And the thing is, God doesn't explain ahead of time so often why he's taking us the way he is. And so we simply have to trust. So just for fun, I want to mention a few other famous people in the Bible that took some big detours as part of their life journey. In fact, if you look at the list of famous people in chapter 11 of Hebrews, Faith's Hall of Fame, you'll see that most of them suffered from great detours. And one of them that certainly comes to mind is Joseph, sold into slavery, taken down to Egypt. That actually was right before the story we're reading. And I thought I'd have time to unpack uh, several of these stories. I don't, so let me just mention Joseph, Daniel, Joseph and Mary, parents of our Lord, the Apostle Paul, just some great illustrations of godly people who suffered from detours. God sent them on detours, unexpected roundabout ways. Conclusion. I think it's safe to say that detours are God's normal mode of operation. Well, let's continue with the story of the Exodus. So Exodus 14 still. And the next thing we see is that detours often feel like a crisis. Very often they, they, they seem to us like we're entering into this crisis. Someone defined a crisis as a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. It's a pretty good definition of the days we live in. Uh, crises usually involve fear or pain and disorientation. And we're in the midst of several, actually, national crises right now, a health crisis that also prompted an economic crisis and a racism crisis, and which has also led to a crisis of lawlessness in our country. Well, let's keep reading in Exodus chapter 14 as we learn about the crisis that the Israelites were in. And we're going to jump all the way down to verse 10 now. So Exodus 14, 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So, they were moving into panic mode. Remember, they're wandering through the wilderness. God led them down on to the, the shores of the Red Sea, and they noticed the Egyptian army coming toward them. They don't know whether they're going to just simply kill them or take them back into slavery, but they were terrified. You see, the problem is they're backed up with their backs to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army coming toward them. If it's that particular place that Piharoth is, there's a valley there that, that a, uh, 
wadi, a valley that, that comes right into the Red Sea. And so there's hills on each side of them, the Egyptian army and the Red Sea behind them. No way for them to escape. Two million something Hebrews with all of their children, all of their babies, all of their herds, all of their flocks stuck in this trap with the Egyptians headed right toward them. And they're afraid, they're blaming Moses. And that's very often what happens when we experience a detour. Fear, complaining, and blaming. Well, let's keep reading. Let's pick it up at verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. I like that. Moses says, just stay calm. Listen, God's got this. He's our way maker. You can trust him. So why should we trust God anyway? Well, one reason is because God's detours often lead to God's destiny for us. Detours often lead to God's destiny in our lives. Moses is basically saying, you know, we can't see the end. We don't know how this is going to uh, finish, but God brought us here. He's going to see us through. He will take care of us. In fact, the principle that I want you to jot down is this. What looks like a detour might just be the route. We see it as a detour, but understand that it's God's route for us. So we continue in Exodus 14, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. So God tells Moses, this is what I want you to do. Tell the people, get them ready. It's time to go. You're going to hold out your staff over the water and I'm going to part it for you and you're going to walk through. I will deliver you and I'm going to destroy the Egyptians that you are so afraid of. So listen, beloved, this is what I want you to see. What looks like a detour may very well be the route God wants you on. So we can relax and you can trust that God has exactly where he wants you to be. Been reflecting on that this week and 39 years ago, I was a seminary student in Dallas, Texas. And in order to graduate, we had this requirement to do a ministry internship. And Jackie and I believed that God was leading us toward missions, and so we signed up for a missionary internship in Bristol, England. There was a church in England that had an opening. They said, come over, do missionary work with us in uh, England. And so we signed up for it, and we were excited to go do that. But just a very few weeks before the uh, semester ended and we were to head to England, uh, we got word from the church that they were having a problem and they were going to have to cancel. And we were like, great, now what? Long story short, we found a, another ministry internship sort of at the last minute. 
And it was not a missionary internship, though. It was a pastoral internship in Breckenridge. And we got excited when we heard the word Breckenridge. That's, we, we've heard that. It's a beautiful place. But it wasn't that Breckenridge. It was Breckenridge, Texas. <laughs> it was a cool place, too, but not what we had pictured in our mind. It's a little West Texas oil field town of 4,000 people. And uh, so we drove off with our two... Uh, little kids, and uh, went to Breckenridge, Texas. And guess what? Even though we were super disappointed about that last-minute detour and that change from missions internship to pastoral internship, God used that perfectly according to his plans in our lives. It was just the route God had for us, and God used that summer to change our hearts from missionary ministry to pastoral ministry instead. You see, what looks like a detour at first might be the exact route God has planned for you. Here's the second thing. Where God leads you, he provides for you. Where he leads, he provides. The Lord knows what we need, and if he leads us on a detour, it only stands the reason he's going to provide for us on that detour, right? So, listen to how he provided for the Israelites. Let's pick it up at verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Can you imagine how awesome that would have been? Where God leads, he provides. And I believe that's true whether it's a deliverance like that or whether it's a job or whether it's direction in your life or friends or, or uh, resources, a spouse, whatever it is. Where God leads, he provides. See, he loves us and he has a plan for our lives and we can trust him to meet us and provide for us along that path. And then finally... The Lord will take care of your enemies. He'll take care of your enemies. So not every detour involves enemies, but sometimes they do. That was the case for the Israelites journeying out of Egypt toward Canaan. Let's pick it up at verse 23. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. So they have found themselves in quite the predicament. The Lord's fighting against them on behalf of his people. And so he throws the Egyptians into panic and chaos. He's causing their chariots to have trouble. Let's read what happens next at verse 26. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. 
and the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. So in a very short time, God took care of the enemy and they were completely wiped out. Listen, beloved, I believe that God will take care of your enemies, our enemies as well. If your detour involves other people who are persecuting you or causing you problems, know that God will take care of them too. He might wait a little longer than we're comfortable with at times. I wish I could see you smile right now. You know, the Israelites were afraid and they were convinced that they were going to die, backed up against the Red Sea, right? Uh, God waited for the last moment. And we can trust God even if it's a little uncomfortable waiting. All right, let's consider some principles that we can draw from this story. And I think the big lesson from the story is this, that detours need not alter the destination. They need not alter the destination. In other words, there's reasons, there's purposes to detours, even if we don't see them right away. So I want to talk with you about four possible reasons or purposes for detours. And the first one is this, to achieve our God-given mission. To achieve God's mission in our lives. If the Lord had taken Israel out of, out of Egypt and, and taken them up through the Philistine territory, that wouldn't have worked because they would have panicked and run back to Egypt. God knew the best way to accomplish the mission. And he knew it was to take them up to the Red Sea so that he could destroy the Egyptians and so that he could display his glory. Another way of putting this principle is this. Commit to the mission, not the method. Commit to the mission, not the method. God is sovereign over both. One day Jesus was talking with his disciples as it was approaching his time for crucifixion. And he was telling them that he was going to go to Jerusalem and be betrayed and die. And after telling them that, Peter drew him aside, pulled him aside, and he said, Lord, this is not a good plan. I don't like this. It's not, you're not going to die. And we smile at that now, right? Because we know that the cross was precisely God's plan. It's how God provided salvation for us. But Peter, in that moment, he didn't like the method God had chosen. He was all about Jesus bringing in the kingdom, but he wasn't all about the method that God chose, and so he had a struggle with that. And we can be a lot like that, beloved. We can question and we can grumble the method that God chooses to use sometimes. We don't, I don't like this detour, right? But God has it planned out. We can trust him. Here's a second reason I see for detours in our lives. And that is to develop our character. I believe one of the big reasons for detours is because, is because God uses them to develop our character. It has been said, and I agree strongly, God is much more interested in our character than in our comfort. Listen to Romans 5, 3 and 4. 
We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So God's word is clear that trials and problems will increase as we approach the end of this age and understand God is all about preparing us and strengthening our character so we're ready for that and also to strengthen our hope, our confidence of our salvation, our deliverance. The third thing that detours do for us is they remind us that God is sovereign. They remind us that God is sovereign. So another reason God sends them sometimes is because he wants us to trust him and understand that he is absolutely sovereign over the affairs of life. Let's read the conclusion of our story in Exodus 14. This is the last two verses. And it says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. So God demonstrated his power, and he brought his people to the place where they had a brand new respect or uh, fear for, the, for his power and for what he could do for them. And he demonstrated his sovereign power, and they began to see him in a new way. Listen, sometimes we look at the world that we live in today, and especially what's happening in America right now, and, and we're troubled because it sort of feels like things are spinning out of control, doesn't it? And I want to remind you of something that I say to you often. The world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. Let me say that again, beloved. The world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. If Jesus had not predicted the end of the age and what it would be like, that it would be like this, there would be all kinds of cause for alarm and for fear. But Jesus did tell us what was coming. Okay? And the way I see it is it's a great privilege to be part of what I think. I think we're part of the final generation that's alive on earth before the Lord comes back. And it's a privilege to be part of that. And I'm going to be talking to you more about that in our summer sermon series in the book of Second Thessalonians. I'd encourage you to begin reading that book. Uh, we'll be there for all of July and August, basically. Let's start reading it now. But I want to remind you of some of the things that are ahead. Okay, And I'm going to remind you of what Jesus said about it from Matthew 24. Jesus and the disciples had just left the temple. They'd walked through the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives, and they're looking back at the splendor of the temple on the Temple Mount. And Jesus points at the temple and he says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be all thrown down. In other words, that temple that we just left, that beautiful, glorious temple where we worship the Lord, it's going to be completely destroyed. And they were stunned. That was a shocker to them. Listen to this conversation that, that uh, continues in Matthew 24, 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. So Jesus said twice in that brief conversation, make sure no one leads you astray. And beloved, deception is one of the signs that describe this time leading up to the end when Jesus comes back. This time right going into the tribulation. So right before the tribulation, Jesus is coming back for his bride, for the church. It's called the rapture. And uh, Jesus is describing what it's going to happen right after that, but there's some birth pangs that lead up to the tribulation that he's describing there. And I read in verse 7, nation will rise against nation. That's the phrase I want you to think about with me. That Greek word for nations that Jesus used is the word ethnos. And it literally re refers to ethnic groups. Perhaps a better translation would be ethnic groups. So here's how one of my mentors, Dr. John Walbert, explains it. He's one of the was one of the leading prophet, Bible prophecy scholars of the last century. He was the president of Dallas Seminary when I was there. This is what he wrote. An inter intersection of end times biblical events that have been prophesied in Scripture will someday converge on earth before the second coming of Christ. Jesus Christ referred to this time as being like the labor pains upon a woman that announced something is coming. Someone is coming. These signs will arrive like waves on a shore, coming one upon another with rapidity and intensity. These labor pains are varied, such as increased spiritual deception, wars, rumors of wars, races of humanity rising up against differing races of humanity, and kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes and disease and pestilence, while the martyrdom of believers will increase. God will allow this convergence to happen. All things will be completely shaken and moved out of their place, end quote. So I want you to go back to that seventh verse of Matthew 24, and notice that Dr. Walvords refers to races of humanity rising up against other races of humanity. That's that word that Jesus used, ethnos. Kingdoms against kingdoms sounds to me more like nations against nations, but ethnos sounds like races against races. And some believe that Jesus was referring to growing racial division in the end times and approaching the tribulation. In fact, in our world today, there's a great increase in that kind of activity. Anti-Semitism, for example, is hugely on the rise today. That's just one example. There's increasing racial division in America as well and all over the world. And to be clear, as followers of Jesus, we should do all we can to oppose that and to end racism and division. However, we should also realize that Jesus predicted that this would come and that it is one of the signs that his return is coming soon. It's one of the birth pangs, is how we put it. That's how Jesus described the last days, the events of the end times, and I believe that we're very close to his return, so we're living in the buildup of 
those things. So, again, Matthew 24 is primarily describing the tribulation, but there are some birth pangs leading up to it that will build, and then the rapture, and then the tribulation begins. Again, I want to encourage you to study what God's Word says about the period of time that we're living in today. And as we approach the return of Christ to take his bride away, we need to understand what to expect. And the bottom line is to remember this. The world is not falling apart. It's simply falling into place. Listen, why do I remind you of that saying so often? Well, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about the rapture of the church, he said this. He said, therefore, comfort, comfort one another with these words. In other words, don't be deceived, don't be caught off guard, don't be afraid. Comfort one another with these words, because know that I'm coming for you. I will take care of you. I'm going to take you out of the world before it falls apart. All right. Finally, detours come into our lives to magnify God to the world to make him known and glorify him. God told Moses, I'm going to open up the Red Sea for you. You're going to pass through on dry ground. Then the Egyptians, they're going to be drowned and destroyed for a purpose. Verse 18 describes that. He says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Understand, God is interested in revealing himself to the world that the world may see him for who he is. And sometimes that means that we'll have to experience some detours in life that aren't altogether comfortable. And so I want to ask you this as I begin to wrap it up today. The question is, are we focusing on our comfort or are we focusing more on God's glory and what God's accomplishing through the detours? Let's talk about some next steps, some application and the first next step is this. I will respond to detours in faith. Listen, beloved, detours are a normal part of life. They always have been. And as Tom mentioned so well last weekend, we have a choice to make when we hit a detour. We can either respond to them in trust or in bitterness. Remember, God often uses detours to lead us to his destiny for our lives but we have to learn to surrender and to trust him. Trust him to lead us one day at a time. So don't give in to fear and frustration. Choose to respond in faith. Next step number two is I will ask God to give me his perspective on detours, his perspective on them. Beloved, rather than seeing them as simply an irritation or having to make a change in plans, how about asking God to reveal the larger story of what he's doing? I read a prayer this week that I'm sure you have heard before. It's called the serenity prayer, and it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the beginning of the prayer, but that's the part that most of us have heard. And maybe that's your prayer today. Maybe you've been wrestling with some detour that uh, you've been on the last uh, few days or weeks or months. Understand, God wants to use detours in our lives for his glory, but also for our good. And I want to encourage you 
Ask him to give you his perspective and embrace it. And then finally, next step three, I will surrender my life to Christ and his plan for me. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ and his plan for you. Friend, our world is a mess, indeed. But it is actually right in line with what Jesus predicted in the, for the days leading up to his return. Jesus Christ, I think, I believe, is coming back very soon and the time is growing short. And so, friend, if you haven't turned to Jesus Christ yet for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, please, please don't wait any longer. I believe, as I said, the time is short. And I guarantee you don't want anything to do with the tribulation that's coming on the earth after the rapture. It will make today look like a picnic. The tribulation is going to be such a time of great distress on the world that people will beg to be killed, beg to die rather than to go through it. And you don't want anything to do with that time on earth. Trust Christ. Surrender your life to him. And if you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to study the Bible and un please understand God's plan for you in the world in these days. One of the reasons for that is so that you can have peace and confidence in the midst of the turmoil. But the other reason is so you can share the hope of the gospel with others so they don't have to be part of God's judgment that's coming. So please understand what God has in mind. Let's pray. Please bow with me in prayer. So Father God, I want to thank you for uh, walking with us in the detours of life, giving us the strength and the grace for them. Father, we pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to understand your perspective on them. And I thank you, Father, for your great love. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live in us, to comfort us and to guide us. As I pray right now in this holy moment, I just offer this invitation. Friend, if you're listening to my voice right now and you haven't trusted Christ yet, would you please receive him today as your Savior? And the way you do that is just pray in, the, in your heart of hearts. Just silently say, Father, I want your forgiveness and I need your forgiveness. I confess I've sinned against you. I've broken your laws and I need forgiveness. So I put my faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection for me. Thank you for making a way. Father, I want to thank you for that amazing gift of salvation and forgiveness. And I want to thank you in this passage we read today for reminding us of your sovereign power. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are our way maker, that you are at work even when we aren't aware of it, even when we can't see it, you are absolutely at work and bringing things together according to your plan. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.